Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Crystal, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Workshop, Triple Negative Breast Cancer in the African American Community. Today's program is a collaborative effort between the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care, um, as well as also the Sisters Network, um, Inc., and so um, this is a really, a, a very, very great collaborative effort, and I'll say more about that as we go along. Um, and um, we also have many other cancer organizations and breast cancer organizations as well, um, uh, helping to help promote this program. And because of your interest in the program and indeed our, all the collaboration that is occurring in terms of promoting the program, we have over 493 participants on the program today. So that's a lot of people on the call from all over the United States. And we also have international participants from Canada, Singapore, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So really a bit of a global call, um, and um, uh, this is really amazing, um, I have to say. Now, today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and a grant from Genentech. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program. And I particularly also want to thank the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation for their real great interest in this area and also for really helping to support this program and make it possible today. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Edith Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is Clinical Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology, Department of Medicine Oncology, Director Center to Eliminate Cancer Disparities, Associate Director, Diversity Affairs, Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center at Jefferson, and the 116th President, National Medical Association. And Dr. Mitchell is going to be addressing an overview of triple negative breast cancer, including current standard of care, and triple negative breast cancer and African-American women. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you, Dr. Messner. It is such a pleasure to be here with such uh, an esteemed panel of um, individuals discussing triple negative breast cancer today. I'd like to thank the audience for being present and for joining with us on this extremely important topic. I will give an overview of, of triple negative breast cancer and indicate that, first of all, breast cancer is a disease which uh, means cancer, and there are cancer cells that form in the normal tissues of the breast. Uh, the breast is made up of what we describe as lobes and ducts. Each breast has 15 to 20 sections that we call lobes. These are sections of the breast, and each lobe is made up of smaller sections called lobules. Uh, so uh, each lobule then is connected to other nodules or other lobules by uh, ducts, and these are just little tiny uh, areas that connect the lobes, the lobules, and bulbs. So breast 
tissue, uh, in this breast tissue, there can be development of abnormal cells, and these abnormal cells can grow and uh, divide and then form breast cancer. Uh, for breast cancer, we describe breast cancer based on the receptors that are on the cells uh, within the cancer. And there are three type cells that we uh, utilize information to help uh, determine the treatment for the patient. Uh, the first is called estrogen receptors, or ER. Uh, progesterone receptors are sometimes called PR. And HER2 new proteins, um, so that for breast cancer, we evaluate the ER, the PR, and the HER2 new. And on the patient's pathology report, this is a report that describes the biopsy that will have been completed on the patient's tumor. Uh, and this is described, therefore, in the pathology report, either as positive or negative. So if the three receptors are negative, uh, it is called triple negative uh, breast cancer. Years ago, we thought of breast cancer as a single disease. However, now we know that there are many types of breast cancer, and those types of breast cancers affect, um, number one, the patient's overall prognosis, but more importantly, the treatment options that are available uh, for treating breast cancer. So the ER, the PR, are the HER2 new, and we evaluate that very carefully. So when we talk about triple negative breast cancer, it means that the receptors on the breast cancer, uh, the estrogen receptors are negative, the progesterone receptors are negative, and the HER2 new receptors are negative. And why is that important? Uh, that is important for a number of reasons. So we ask ourselves, who actually gets triple negative breast cancer in the United States? Uh, and the answer is about 15 to 20% of all of the breast cancers evaluated each year in the United States are of the type that we call triple negative breast cancer. Anyone can uh, get triple negative breast cancers, but we do find the cancers uh, occurring more frequently in younger women. Uh, they occur more frequently in African-American women and more frequently in individuals who have a BRCA1 gene mutation. So we are evaluating all of these things. And there's information that perhaps triple negative breast cancer uh, might occur more frequently in Hispanic or Latino women, uh, but certainly found more frequently in African-American uh, women. So we say, why is this unique? What What is different that we call these tumors triple negative? Well, number one, they tend to grow faster than other breast cancers. Uh, they also tend to recur or come back more frequently 
after effective treatment has been completed. And in recurring or coming back, they tend to spread to other parts of the body, such as the lungs, the liver, uh, bone, or brain. Uh, And overall, triple negative breast cancer has a worse prognosis, uh, perhaps because of the treatment options. Uh, Since the tumors are negative for uh, estrogen and progesterone, the usual medications that we think about, such as tamoxifen or other hormonal therapies, as well as the anti-HER2 new uh, treatments, these treatments are not effective in triple negative breast cancer. So consequently, um, there are fewer treatment options There are more aggressive cancers, and the cancers tend to come back more frequently and tend to spread to other parts of the body. Uh, However, there are good treatments for triple negative breast cancer, and one should not be uh, depressed that there are certain medications that do not work or are not effective. Uh, There are very good chemotherapy agents. Uh, that can be utilized for uh, patient treatment. And still, uh, the therapy for patients usually involves some combination of chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. Clinical trials are very, very important uh, because a lot of research and a lot of new technology now demonstrates that there are other targeted therapies that may be available and can be effective in the treatment of um, triple negative breast cancer. So it's very important that individuals and their families or other support systems uh, make sure that uh, the patient understands the pathology report and what that report indicates. Uh, Also, For triple negative breast cancer, it is very important to evaluate uh, whether a clinical trial may be important for the patient. And clinical trials being very important to test the safety as well as the um, effectiveness of these new treatments so that we can say that we're getting better and better treatments. There are effective treatments now that have been developed through clinical trials, and therefore clinical trials very important. So the questions, some of the questions that patients might ask their uh, physicians or other providers, uh, what kind of treatment is available for triple negative breast cancer? Uh, when can one start treatment? How long will the treatment take? Uh, what are the possible effects of the treatment? and which clinical trials should I consider. So very important to discuss with the uh, physician and other provider staff on what is available for treatment of triple negative breast cancers and what can be expected from that treatment. Uh, And therefore, uh, the treatment of triple negative breast cancer is increasing and improving each year And therefore, to offer patients the greatest benefit, it's very important to um, ask the physician 
and the uh, physician's treatment staff uh, all the questions and make sure you receive the answers and get the information that you need. So triple negative breast cancer is an important type and one that is uh, increasingly uh, seen in our population of patients, but one that we do have good treatments for and more research is being done. So I thank you uh, for joining us today for this uh, topic, and you're going to hear more about triple negative breast cancer from other members of our panel today. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mitchell. As always, that was wonderful and just a wonderful way to introduce triple negative breast cancer to the audience here to discuss it, um, and um, thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Lisa Newman. Dr. Newman is Director of the Breast Oncology Program for the Multi-Hospital Henry Ford Health System, or HFHS, and she's founding medical director for the HFHS, International Center for the Study of Breast Cancer Subtypes. And Dr. Newman is going to be addressing the role of surgery and survivorship, follow-up care plan, and triple negative breast cancer in the African-American community. And I want to just let you all know that Dr. Newman is speaking to us from Ghana, and she will say more about that. But um, we are delighted to have Dr. Newman with us, and it is my great pleasure to um, introduce Dr. Newman, my esteemed colleague, to all of you, Dr. Newman. And um, I'm going to now turn this program off to Dr. Newman. Dr. Newman is going to address the role of surgery and survivorship follow-up care plan and triple negative breast cancer in the African-American community. Dr. Newman. Thank you so very much, Dr. Messner. And I'd like to echo Dr. Mitchell's comments that it's a distinct honor to be a part of this uh, terrific uh, panel discussion this afternoon. So I will spend the next few minutes talking about surgical perspectives in management of triple negative breast cancer. And it's important to state at the outset that the surgical perspectives in managing triple negative breast cancer actually mirror very closely the surgical perspectives that we have to keep in mind when we are managing a non-triple negative breast cancer. There are, however, a couple of features particularly relevant to triple negative breast cancer that might end up influencing a patient's treatment decisions. Some of these features you've already heard very eloquently described by Dr. Mitchell, those two features being the increased likelihood of having hereditary susceptibility for breast cancer among triple negative breast cancer patients, and also the fact that triple negative breast cancers tend to be biologically more aggressive and tend to be more likely to need chemotherapy as an important component of their care. But first, before I get into how those uh, particular aspects of the disease might influence surgical planning for the diagnosis, excuse me, surgical planning for the diagnosis, I'll focus on the three basic principles that we always address whenever we're coming up with a surgical treatment plan for any woman diagnosed with an invasive breast cancer, triple negative or non-triple negative. Now, these three principles are as follows. First is the most straightforward. You want to get rid of that tumor in the breast. This is the same principle that we adhere to regardless of whether we're talking about a cancer diagnosed in a woman's breast, a cancer in the colon, in the lungs, if it's at all technically feasible, you want to get rid of that cancer, and this is why the very high majority of breast cancer patients 
requires some surgery as at least one component of their care. Now, the second principle is a little bit more specific or unique to cancers that we do diagnose in a woman's breast. And this is the principle that the entire breast has to be treated somehow. And treating that entire breast is very important because we've learned that many women with breast cancer will have microscopic amounts of cancer hiding in otherwise completely normal appearing breast tissue, sometimes located pretty remote from where the actual cancerous lump was identified and biopsied. So it only makes sense that you want to make sure that you've done everything possible to reduce the possibility that those microscopic hidden areas of disease will continue to grow and turn into other lumps in the woman's breast or other problems on future mammograms. Now, these first two principles guide our surgical planning for the breast itself. The third principle, which is the staging of the cancer by checking the lymph nodes of the underarm area, evaluating this third principle is important because the finding cancer in the lymph nodes or the glands of the underarm is an important surrogate marker, an important reflection of what might be going on in other parts of the body. So you heard Dr. Mitchell talking about the metastatic risk of triple negative breast cancer and the fear that the cancer might be hiding in other parts of the body, such as the liver, lungs, or the bones, and potentially damage those other organs. Well, the point of giving chemotherapy for breast cancer is that this is treatment that will circulate throughout the body, and so it's very effective at killing those microscopic cancer cells that might be hiding in other organs, including triple negative breast cancer cells that might be hiding in other organs. And so chemotherapy, while it's not easy treatment to take necessarily, it can be life-saving in many women with breast cancer, and particularly in women with triple negative breast cancer. So again, checking those lymph nodes of a breast cancer patient is important because if we see disease hiding in those lymph nodes, it's a very important clue regarding the chemotherapy needs for that breast cancer patient. Now, the way that we often are able to evaluate the lymph nodes of the underarm is with an operation called a sentinel lymph node biopsy, which is basically a minimally invasive way of finding and removing just the most important lymph nodes that are responsible for draining that woman's breast and therefore her breast cancer. So the sentinel lymph node biopsy is actually a wonderful advance that we've made in the management of breast cancer over the past few decades. The alternative to the sentinel lymph node biopsy is an operation called the axillary lymph node dissection, where we basically are removing the entire fat pad of the underarm, and that can be a very effective operation for controlling extensive disease in the lymph nodes of a breast cancer patient. But whenever feasible, we like to avoid it because the axillary lymph node dissection is the operation that can put breast cancer patients at risk for a problem called lymphedema, where they can develop an easy tendency for swelling in the arm on that side. So again, this third principle, evaluating the lymph nodes of the underline in a breast cancer patient is very important regardless of the surgical plan that the patient chooses for her breast itself. Now, the oldest surgical plan for breast cancer is mastectomy surgery, and when we do a mastectomy and completely remove the breast, we're basically taking care of those first two principles in one fell swoop. 
for patients who choose mastectomy surgery or for patients who need mastectomy because of their particular tumor pattern, we always want those patients to meet with a plastic surgeon to evaluate their breast reconstruction options. A lot of breast reconstruction can be done at the same time as the mastectomy, which is what we refer to as immediate breast reconstruction. But the door is never closed to reconstruction, and someone then may have the mastectomy surgery and then return to the operating room months or even years later to have delayed reconstruction. The alternative to the mastectomy surgery is what we refer to as breast-saving or breast-conserving surgery. And with breast-conserving surgery, we perform a lumpectomy to get rid of that tumor that was diagnosed as the cancer. And then we rely upon radiation treatments to kill those microscopic amounts of cancer hiding in the remaining normal-appearing breast. Survival is exactly the same regardless of whether the woman chooses the mastectomy surgery or the lumpectomy and radiation because survival from breast cancer, including triple negative breast cancer, is related to the risk of that cancer ever traveling to other organs and damaging other organs through distant metastatic spread. Now I'm going to turn to those other issues that I alluded to before related to triple negative breast cancer that might influence a woman's treatment planning. Now, as Dr. Mitchell mentioned, triple negative breast cancers tend to be biologically more aggressive, and so we are more likely to recommend chemotherapy in managing triple negative breast cancer. And so many women will actually receive chemotherapy before they have their actual surgery, which is what we call neoadjuvant or preoperative chemotherapy. The advantages of a woman receiving preoperative chemotherapy is that it can shrink tumor down, and it might improve the woman's likelihood of being able to have a cosmetically acceptable lumpectomy. The chemotherapy first might melt away disease in those lymph nodes, making it less likely that the woman will require that operation called the axillary lymph node dissection. And also, giving chemotherapy before the surgery provides us with an opportunity to monitor the effectiveness of the chemotherapy. And if we see the disease in the breast melting away with the chemotherapy, it tells us that we have a very good regimen for that patient and a regimen that is very likely to be killing the disease that might be hiding in other organs. When we operate on patients that have received preoperative chemotherapy, we look at how much disease is left in the breast at the time of surgery to get a definitive estimate of how successful the chemotherapy was. And if we do see disease left in the breast or in the lymph nodes after chemotherapy prior to surgery, it is disappointing information. However, because of a very recent successful clinical trials, we have learned that there is special treatment for these women that is very effective at improving survival rates, even if we see that the chemotherapy has not melted away the disease completely. And this is through medication called Zolota. But again, the important message here is that we have learned about some of these novel strategies for triple negative breast cancer through effective, successful clinical trials. The second aspect of triple negative breast cancer that I want to allude to briefly is related to the fact that triple negative breast cancers are more common 
in women that have inherited susceptibility for breast cancer, women that have mutations in the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene. So for women that have triple negative breast cancer diagnosed up to the age of 60, regardless of whether or not they have a family history, we always refer those patients to meet with a genetic counselor and to consider genetic testing. Many of these women may end up opting to undergo bilateral or a double mastectomy surgery to reduce their chances of getting a completely new breast cancer in the future because of that inherited susceptibility. But it's important for patients to understand that the focus when a cancer has been diagnosed is to treat that cancer that you already know about. Prevention surgery can potentially be done at some point in the future. It does not necessarily have to be done when that known biopsy-proven cancer is being treated. I also want to make a comment briefly on another issue that Dr. Mitchell mentioned, which is the high risk of triple negative breast cancer among African-American women. My international breast cancer research program is actually looking at African ancestry as a heritable marker for developing triple negative breast cancer, which is why I am in Ghana right now. We've been studying the breast cancer burden of women in different parts of Africa and looking at the frequencies of triple negative breast cancer in women from different parts of Africa. And what we've been finding is that there is a particularly high frequency of triple negative breast cancer in countries such as Ghana, which is where I am right now, in Western Sub-Saharan Africa compared to East Africa. And we think that this is related to African ancestry and in particular Western Sub-Saharan African ancestry. The colonial era slave trade actually brought Africans from this part of the continent over to the colonies. And so as African-Americans, we have more shared ancestry with the, the contemporary Western Sub-Saharan Africans. And so we are looking at Western Sub-Saharan African ancestry and the genetics of that ancestry to help us understand the genetics of triple negative breast cancer. And I would be very happy if anybody wants to reach out to me specifically to hear more about our international research. But the last comment that I want to make is regarding uh, support for African-American triple, ne triple negative and African-American non-triple negative breast cancers in the United States. The Sisters Network Incorporated that Dr. Mechner referred to is a wonderful, wonderful organization of African-American breast cancer survivors and advocates with more than 30 chapters around the country, and they do some absolutely fantastic outreach, educational programs, support, and advocacy programs to address the breast cancer burden of African-American women and to work on eliminating the higher mortality rates that we see from breast cancer in the African-American community. So I'll stop there, but I do thank everybody for their time and attention, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to be on this panel discussion. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Newman. That was really extraordinary and wonderful, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Generosa Grana. Dr. Grana is Medical Director, MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper, Division Head, Hematology and Medical Oncology, the Cooper Health System, Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School at Rowan University. 
and Dr. Groner is going to address new treatment approaches for metastatic triple negative breast cancer and communicating with the healthcare team about your quality of life concerns. It's my pleasure now to turn this over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Groner. Thank you, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be on this call, and I'm humbled because I, I find the two uh, first lectures to be so interesting. Um, I'm going to talk first about metastatic breast cancer in the triple negative setting and then talk about communication with the healthcare team. Now, metastatic breast cancer, by definition, is disease that has spread beyond the breast and beyond the regional lymph nodes under the arm. The majority of patients have had prior treatment for their early stage breast cancer. But as we heard, these cancers that are triple negative have a higher tendency to recur, and that's what this represents. Some women, 10 to 15% in the United States, but much higher numbers in third world countries, present with newly diagnosed metastatic breast cancer as their first signs of breast cancer. Those are women that haven't been treated before and don't have a team. Uh, and again, in the United States, that's a smaller number. Uh, metastatic breast cancer means disease has spread to other organs such as lymph nodes, lung, liver, bone, or other sites. The prognosis for metastatic triple negative breast cancer depends on the extent of disease, how much disease, how many areas are involved, the time from the original diagnosis to the development of this recurrence of disease. If it's earlier, the prognosis is uh, worse because it tells you more aggressive disease. Management uh, is really appropriate management is imperative. I believe that biopsying a woman when she develops her first sign of metastatic disease is important. You want to prove that it represents metastatic breast cancer and not something else, an infectious process, another cancer, for example, um, a lymphoma, for example. So biopsying the cancer is very important, and that may mean biopsy of a bone lesion, biopsy of a liver lesion. You want to show that this cancer is still estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 new negative because some cancers change, and the features of the cancer now will dictate the treatment going forward. So if the cancer is no longer triple negative, it may bring different options. It may bring her to targeted drugs or hormonal drugs. The majority of the cases will still be triple negative, but it's important information to have. It's also important to send this tissue for genomic profiling. Others are going to speak about that. Um, and the genomic profiling can help us decide on a treatment plan. It can help us to look for viable clinical trials that a woman can participate in. As Dr. Newman mentioned, genetic testing, if it wasn't done when the woman was originally diagnosed, should be considered now because it can be a help in both uh, helping the family to deal with risk but also to help the woman in selection of drugs for treatment. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in a moment. What new treatment approaches are there for metastatic breast cancer? First of all, it's not all gloom and doom, and uh, we have some very good drugs. Chemotherapy remains the standard approach to treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer. There are many drugs. The choice of drug depends on the prior treatments the woman had for her early breast cancer. If you had adriamycin once, we don't tend to go back to that. But options include adriamycin, the taxanes, taxol and taxotere, uh, zolota, which is an oral chemotherapy drug, 
the platinum agents are particularly exciting in triple negative breast cancer. Both carboplatin and cisplatin are very active drugs. And then the big debate in the in the world of treating metastatic breast cancer is when do you pick one drug versus a combination of drugs? And and that is there's a lot to that discussion that is made between the oncologist and the patient. If a woman is uh, mutation positive, if she carries one of those BRCA1 or 2 mutations uh, representing hereditary disease, it brings up the whole option of PARP inhibitors. PARP inhibitors are drugs that interfere with DNA repair. Women that have mutations in BRCA1 and 2 have abnormal DNA repair. There was a study looking at one of those drugs, but there are several that are in development. And the study looking at Aleparib, one of the first PARP inhibitors, showed that if you give this women to women who have metastatic disease, uh, and you either give them the drug alone or you compare it to patients who just got standard chemotherapy, 60% of the women who got a leporib, a pill, uh, responded, as opposed to 30% of the women who got standard chemotherapy. So this is quite exciting because uh, you are giving women an oral agent and seeing nice responses. The chemotherapy in that study included Zolota, Halivin, Navalbean, uh, so typical drugs that we would use for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And again, the benefit of the uh, PARP inhibitor was more responses, but also less toxicity. 36% of the patients had toxicity with the Olaparib versus 50% having toxicity with the chemotherapy. So better results and less toxic results. And these were not women that were uh, new to their breast cancer. These are women that had been treated. So in today's world, a woman who has triple negative disease should have BRCA1 and 2 testing because it will potentially open up the door for these PARP inhibitors as standard of care therapy covered by insurance, or it may open up the doors for clinical trials. Now, what other options are there? Uh, there are some interesting ongoing studies looking at immune therapy, studies looking at drugs that target the androgen receptor. Uh, you've heard about the estrogen receptor. Well, interestingly, uh, a number of women with metastatic triple negative breast cancer will overexpress androgen receptors uh, for male hormones, and there are drugs that can be used to target that. So again, uh, we are entering a very interesting world. With regards to the immune therapy, others uh, on, the talk, uh, on this talk today will talk about ongoing trials, but there is actually a drug that was approved, pembrolizumab, some of you have heard it as Keytruda, was approved with patients with metastatic cancer in general, not just breast cancer, uh, but if they have a certain profile for their cancer, if they're deficient uh, or microsatellite unstable. Now, unfortunately, that's a very small number of women with metastatic breast cancer, but it is some, and so your physician will have to go through the process of testing to make sure that this is not an option for you. We have some data uh, on triple negative breast cancer with pembrolizumab, and there are other ongoing studies. Beyond chemotherapy, there may be a role for radiation, typically for symptom control. If there's a bony site that's causing pain or something that looks like it's been weakened and could break, radiation may be very helpful. 
there's a role for bone strengthening drugs, uh, particularly for women who have uh, extensive disease in their bones because these drugs will help prevent fractures and improve pain. So the mainstay of treatment of metastatic breast cancer that's triple negative is chemotherapy, but radiation, bone strengthening drugs, and now some of these new and interesting agents such as PARP inhibitors, immune therapy agents, are an option. And again, others will talk about this, but I think this is an area where clinical trials are important and finding information if, to see if you're eligible for a trial is important. Next, let me finish by talking about communicating with your healthcare team. As I said, many women uh, have a healthcare team, have an oncology team because they were treated for early stage breast cancer, but we do have women that don't, and this is their first encounter with an oncologist and their team because cancer care is really a team effort, a nurse, a social worker often is involved, nutrition, behavioral health. It's usually a team of caregivers working with you and with your family. For a woman who has metastatic disease, uh, I think the most important thing is establishing that relationship and having a good open communication with that team because it's really important uh, that we come to understand that this is a highly treatable, incurable, but highly treatable disease, and it's important that we communicate goals of care. Uh, you need to make sure that your life priorities, if there is a graduation that you want to make sure you are focusing on, if there is, if hair is a real important criteria, um, again, your team needs to know and needs to work with you to achieve goals. It's also important that you communicate with them about toxicity. They can't help you if they don't know what side effects you're having, and sometimes little things can make a tremendous difference in managing the side effects of certain of these drugs or of the disease itself. It's important not to let myths and misconceptions interfere with your care. I hear too often about uh, people wanting to go to distant places for alternative therapies or uh, unusual things. Uh, I, have, I hear stories of patients who avoid sugar because it feeds their cancer or focus on alkalinizing their blood because of uh, fear about other things. The reality is you need to communicate with your healthcare team, look at the data, and make sure that they explain to you what makes sense and doesn't make sense and that they're open. Supplements are very commonly used in breast cancer in patients with disease, and it's just important that your team knows what you're taking so that it doesn't interfere with your other drugs and also that they help you weed out those supplements that may not be helpful. It's also important to involve your family in your journey. Uh, it's hard to go this alone. Uh, it may be your biologic family. It may be your church family. It may be your neighbors or community. But I think it's important for everyone to have support as they're going through this journey. And it's also important to make use of all the support services that are available to you. There are often services in your cancer center, in your cancer program. Uh, cancer Care has access to service and other community organizations, American Cancer Society, Komen, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and others, the Triple Negative Foundation, and others will have resources that may help you through this journey. So the key is being open and seeking some of those resources. And with that, I'll stop. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Grana. That was really outstanding. And um, and you really covered such an important area and of concern for many people. So I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Shavita Vignac. And Dr. Vignac is Assistant Professor, University Hospitals Cleveland Medical Center, 
Becky Hennessy Endowed Master Clinician in Breast Cancer Genomics, Case Comprehensive Cancer Center, Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, Division of Hematology and Oncology. And Dr. Vignac is going to address genomics, triple negative breast cancer, and clinical trials, and tips to manage side effects, neuropathy, and pain. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Vignac. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for um, giving me this opportunity to talk to everyone on the phone call today. And um, I'm also very glad to be among the panel of speakers. Um, so I will start out with just um, talking about when patients um, come to clinic um, and uh, diagnose with, you know, sort of newly diagnosed triple negative breast cancer, a lot of times um, they're disheartened by the information that's found on the internet. And to just kind of start off, I want to remind patients that it's important to look at good sites for information, including the National Cancer Institute. Um, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has a really good site with great information. And um, this kind of gives you um, some opportunities to uh, look at good information for treatments. As has already been mentioned by um, Dr. Mitchell in the beginning, we know that uh, triple negative breast cancer, uh, um, hormone blocking or HER2-targeted treatments are not options. And um, as a reminder, even though these treatments don't work for triple negative breast cancer, the chemotherapies are very, very effective still. Um, and in early-stage breast cancer, we typically give chemotherapy drugs either prior to surgery, um, as Dr. Newman mentioned, so that's called neoadjuvant chemotherapy or preoperative chemotherapy, or after surgery, that's adjuvant setting. Um, and the decision to uh, give these treatments is made in a multidisciplinary team with a surgeon, a medical oncologist, and a radiation oncologist involved. Um, so it's a complex decision, but um, chemotherapy is definitely in the picture either before or after surgery for most patients with triple negative breast cancer. And again, it depends on the size of the cancer and if there's you know cancer in the lymph nodes from the outset. Um, for metastatic disease, uh, for patients living with metastatic breast cancer, Chemotherapy still remains a very good option, but however, as you've heard from many other speakers, we're all, you know, passionate about clinical research, clinical trials, and I think clinical trials still remain the best standard option if they're available. Um, so that kind of brings me to, you know, just an introduction on clinical trials, and um, we see lots of patients, and I think there is some myths around clinical trials. So. I'm going to just start off with talking about clinical trials in general, and um, Dr. Grana has already talked about uh, on a lot of you know novel therapies that are up and coming in clinical trial setting, but I will definitely go a, a little bit deeper into them. So I think for clinical trial, the participation is really uh, a patient's chance to not only benefit yourself from new therapies, but hopefully many others down the road. Um, the few misconceptions that we hear about uh, in clinic regarding clinical trials is, 
you know, and these are all legitimate concerns, uh, absolutely. You know, patients are afraid uh, because of the fear of cost and what what is it going to cost, um, you know, to participate in trials, if it's going to be covered by their insurance. There's, of course, concerns about side effects of the treatments, which is very reasonable, and that's where more information on the drugs uh, themselves can definitely help. Um, and then the, one of the other concerns is, you know, whether they're going to get a placebo medication for their cancer. And, you know, placebos are uh, almost never used in cancer clinical trials since that would not be um, ethical. The typical comparisons are, you know, if there's a new drug that's being combined with an existing standard chemotherapy, um, then that may be compared to the standard chemotherapy plus placebo, but um, you would almost never get a placebo in cancer treatment or a cancer clinical trial. Um, the designs of the trials go through a very stringent process within your institution and nationally, and of course, um, that's, you know, imperative for patient safety, um, and that's how these trials are designed. So a lot of thought um, and rationale goes into this entire uh, trial design process, hopefully to bring, you know, new promising drugs to our patients and, you know, make progress against um, triple negative breast cancer or really any cancer. Um, our best standard treatment options, you know, that we have today as a reminder were clinical trials at some point in the past, and several thousands of patients who participated in these trials really helped, them, uh, helped move the field forward, and these treatments are benefiting many of our patients today. So trials are really one way that physicians bring new drugs to the patients, and only when they're proven and, you know, tested, they make their way to the market and they're available to all of our patients. Um, just like Olaparib was recently approved, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So actually, once um, patients, you know, say that they may be eligible for clinical trials, there is a screening process, and uh, a few patients, after going through all of the screening tests, become eligible to actually go on the study and get the therapy. Um, there, another sort of thing that uh, we see in clinic is, um, and this is also among maybe some of the physicians, that a lot of times we will start off, um, especially for metastatic breast cancer patients, start off with chemotherapies and wait to put them on clinical trials or offer them clinical trials um, till maybe later in the course of their treatment, which I think um, sometimes patients are not able to get on clinical trials if they're too, you know, sick because of the strict criteria. So if you're doing relatively well, um, it's best to find uh, a clinical trial option for triple negative breast cancer as early on as possible. And all of this information can be available through clinicaltrials.gov. Um, and then also the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has a, a great resource, with, which I just heard about, for clinical trial matching. Um, and I'm sure more available, information would be av available around that later on. Going on to just talk very generally about, you know, what genomics means and, 
you may have heard the term precision medicine. So um, cancer is really a problem of uncontrolled growth of cells, and it can happen due to many changes that are happening in a cancer cell at sort of a, a tiny molecular level. And precision medicine um, or targeted therapy or looking at the tumor genomics or changes in the cancer itself is really all about matching the so-called uh, drivers of the cancer and finding medications that can help put the brakes on these drivers. So if we can find therapies, um, if there are certain changes that are making the cancer grow, then um, and we can find therapies to really um, you know, put the brakes on, then we know we would be able to control the cancer. It's not as easy in triple negative breast cancer because so far we haven't found a whole lot of changes that we can target, but there are definitely some promising therapies on the horizon. Um, so I'll highlight that in the clinical trials. Um, before I talk about some of the clinical trials in metastatic disease, I would like to highlight um, two clinical trials in early stage breast cancer, which are of relevance. And both of these trials are actually looking at patients who have completed preoperative or neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And as Dr. Newman mentioned, if there is still cancer in the breast or lymph nodes after completing sort of best standard, you know, um, chemotherapy, which is typically anthracycline taxane-based, or you may be on a clinical trial with a platinum, possibly, or other trials. Uh, but if there's still residual cancer at the time of surgery, which means the standard chemotherapy did not clear all of the cancer from the breast or the lymph nodes, then there are two clinical trial options that are being looked at nationally. And one is looking at the uh, role of additional chemotherapy, and that's uh, specifically evaluating Zolota or capecitabine versus a platinum chemotherapy. So they're both chemotherapy drugs, but different types. And a second national clinical trial is looking at the role of uh, immunotherapy drug or pembrolizumab or Keytruda that Dr. Grana mentioned versus observation. And um, the clinical trialists who designed both of these studies have worked it out that you could actually go from one trial to the next if you did want to participate in both of them. Um, and I think both of these are of uh, high relevance because we know that patients who don't um, clear all of their cancer with chemotherapy are at risk for the cancer coming back. So both of these are looking at other options um, to hopefully reduce the risk of this cancer coming back. In metastatic setting, there are uh, a few exciting developments. Uh, one of them, Dr. Grana mentioned this already, is the AR or androgen receptor positive triple negative breast cancer. We know that the triple negative breast cancer is sort of a basket of diseases and it's fairly heterogeneous. We know this from some of the genomic or gene expression work that was done recently and we found sort of six different types of triple negative breast cancer based on this one study. Um, that information has not translated to the clinic yet. However, uh, we did identify this androgen receptor positive type of triple negative breast cancer. And this breast cancer type 
um, specifically behaves more like a hormone receptor positive or ERPR positive breast cancer. It tends to go more um, to the bones and lymph nodes, similar to the ER positive breast cancer. And um, instead of, you know, um, getting more chemotherapy, these patients uh, may potentially benefit from a androgen receptor or androgen protein blocker, um, which also comes in pill forms. And there are clinical trials ongoing in this uh, arena for sure. Um, and about, we would estimate about 15% of the triple negative breast cancer patients to be about androgen receptor positive. Another really exciting development that's happened this year was the approval of our first PARP inhibitor in, uh, for breast cancer. So this happened in January of um, this year, and it's specifically for uh, patients who have the BRCA mutation. Um, so Dr. Grana mentioned this, and so did Dr. Newman. Um, I think this makes the need for genetic testing for, you know, really important and um, as a reminder per sort of national guidelines, regardless of family history, um, all triple negative breast cancer women of age less than 60 should have genetic testing, at least for BRCA1 and 2 mutation. And now that we have a therapy, an approved therapy that comes in our oral pill form, um, that would be uh, of you know potential benefit. It makes the genetic testing even more important. And genetic testing um, obviously not only helps you um, with your own cancer risks, but also uh, you know can potentially help other family members. And this way, they can be proactive regarding managing their own cancer risks and getting into maybe some high risk clinics and you know getting. Uh, appropriately screened if they are found to have a BRCA1 or 2 mutation. Um, and now there's a much larger panel of um, mutations that uh, geneticists are looking at, and those may be of relevance as well for, you know, cancer screening. Immunotherapy, um, I'm sure lots of people on the call have heard about um, the promise of immunotherapy. I would say... Um, uh, so just as uh, an introduction, um, so we know that triple negative breast cancer or tumors uh, in general can put up sort of a defense against our immune cells' ability to destroy the tumor. So what these drugs, the immunotherapy drugs are doing is they're sort of allowing the breaks to be released and allowing the immune cells to start destroying the tumor or the cancer cells again. And that's exactly what we want from our treatments. You know, we want the immune cells to be able to clear out the cancer cells. Um, so far, then the, uh, the immunotherapy drugs by themselves have shown limited effectiveness in triple negative breast cancer, but they're being combined with um, chemotherapy drugs, other immunotherapy drugs, and other targeted therapies. And I think those are starting to show early promise and they're being tested in, you know, various lines of therapy. Um, so as a brand new diagnosis um, with metastatic disease, uh, you could uh, definitely participate in some of these trials and in later lines as well um, after you've been through some of the other chemotherapy drugs potentially. And the last uh, area 
of drugs and metastatic disease that I would like to uh, just um, remind people about is, I think, um, so these drugs are called drug antibody conjugates. And I think these drugs are, you know, really cool because the antibodies against a specific protein on a cancer cell is linked sort of using a linker to a chemotherapy drug. So they're not general chemotherapy drugs, but they're really sort of a, a antibody against a cancer cell linked to a chemotherapy drug. And because they are sort of targeted towards the cancer cell, these drugs are able to discriminate between, um, you know, targeting or destroying a cancer cell versus a healthy cell. So they tend to have less side effects on the body. And three sort of promising drugs that are in development um, are against three proteins, and that's uh, GPNMB, uh, LIV1, and TROPE2. And there have uh, has been some exciting data that was presented at a recent San Antonio meeting um, for two of the drugs. Um, and we're seeing about, you know, 30% response rates by, uh, by themselves with the drug being used alone. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be developed in combination with other therapies as well. Lastly, I think, you know, participation outside of treatment trials, even in tissue-based studies at your ongoing cancer centers is, you know, can help move the field forward. Um, there's many areas in um, triple negative breast cancer where we need to study the biology further. Um, for example, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in um, understanding, you know, what drives uh, resistance to chemotherapy, sort of our best treatments um, that we have available today, and how can we improve the responses um, for patients, and if there is any differences, you know, in uh, response to chemotherapy for African-Americans versus non-African-American patients. So there's lots of tissue-based, um, you know, studies that need to be done um, to help uh, understand how can we develop more effective treatments. Um, just lastly, regarding, you know, practical tips to cope with treatment side effects, um, just briefly, I think around nausea, vomiting that's induced by chemotherapy, we're doing fairly well in managing these, and lots of different medications are available. Um, if it's not controlled, I would definitely encourage you to talk to your physicians because there are uh, a large, you know, a huge armamentarium of medications that's available to control nausea. Uh, for neuropathy, uh, a neurologist, if available at your cancer center, can help assess neuropathy or, you know, sort of the numbness, tingling feelings that you may have from um, certain chemotherapies or even uh, clinical trial drugs. Um, and there are nerve pain medicines specifically to help manage these. Some of the drugs that we use in clinic include gabapentin or Lyrica. Um, vitamin B6 has been shown of some help. Um, so we use these medicines to help with this particular side effect. Um, you know, lots of uh, patients, especially uh, going through metastatic breast cancer, um, can experience, you know, fatigue, um, anxiety, or depression. And um, I would definitely uh, recommend, you know, um, 
using the resources uh, available at the cancer, uh, cancer center regarding some of the psychosocial services. Um, I think maintaining physical activity can really help reduce cancer-related or treatment-related fatigue, and there may be some exercise programs at the cancer centers that are of available uh, availability as well. And um, I think uh, regarding you know, infections, it's important to address those with your physicians if you're experiencing any of those side effects. And um, lastly, you know, just echoing um, what other speakers have said, and I think Dr. Grana mentioned this as well, um, with triple negative breast cancer, unfortunately, there are, you know, younger women who are affected and um, I see uh, all the time many young women uh, with children really trying to do it all on their own. Um, and I think that can be, you know, very stressful and anxiety causing as well. And it's okay to rely on family members and friends and just the support in the community that's available. Um, and that would that's sort of my last remark. And I really appreciate um, everyone, you know, getting on this call and um, helping, uh, you know, just listening to all of this uh, very important information on triple negative breast cancer. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Vignac. That was really very comprehensive and, and really wonderful and lots of incredible information for people to take away. So thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinneman. And Ms. Dinneman is the CEO and founder of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And she also is, of course, um, been instrumental in making today's program um, possible. She's co-founder and executive director of Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And Ms. Dinneman is going to address the programs of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. I'm going to turn this program over to um, my esteemed colleague, Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much for the introduction, Dr. Messner. Um, I want to take a moment to thank our partners at Cancer Care and my fellow speakers for the excellent presentations on TNBC. Also, I wanted to give a special thank you to our partners at Sisters Network. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it is the leading national African-American breast cancer survivorship organization, and they have fabulous resources. Um, today's webinar and teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community, from patients to survivors to caregivers and loved ones as well. Uh, today, I'd like to highlight a few of our programmatic offerings, and I sincerely hope that you'll take advantage of them as you navigate from diagnosis through treatment and finally to survivorship. First, uh, we have numerous educational brochures that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular Understanding TNBC brochure and our treatment guide for patients and their families were both developed with input from members of our TNBC community, as well as from esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. And these brochures, as well as all of our other educational materials, have special sections addressing issues of particular interest to certain members of our TNBC community, including African-American women, those with BRCA mutations, those with early stage diagnoses, and also those with metastatic disease. So we work really hard to make sure that every member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials, and I hope you can use them to your benefit. Also, our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers a TNBC-specific clinical trials management service that some of us have used before. 
Um, we also have a constantly updated TNBC news section. And a favorite of our community is our online discussion forums. The forums allow you to easily connect with women who are living with triple negative breast cancer basically any time of the day or night. Our community, um, which includes women from those who are newly diagnosed to many long-term survivors, use these forums to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, and basically anything related to triple negative breast cancer. Mostly, though, our discussion forums offer consistent support to our community. So if you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should consider joining them. You can even do it anonymously. And I, I honestly can't stress enough how helpful they've been to so many women. Of course, uh, if you feel um, that you'd benefit more from in-person meetings, I hope you'll consider joining us for our next fall conference weekend. The TNBC Foundation partners with Living Beyond Breast Cancer every year to provide you with a specific triple negative program at this conference. Um, our 2017 conference weekend was in Memphis, and I know some of you on this call attended that one. It was a wonderful weekend, and it included both important educational offerings and opportunities to socialize with our incredible TNBC community. Our next conference won't take place until next fall, but it's never too early to start planning. So if you're interested, please look out for information about the program, which will be taking place in Philadelphia the weekend of September 28th. Registration will open this summer. Um, if you follow us on Facebook or visit our website, you'll be able to register not only for the conference, but also for travel grants to help you and your caregiver defray the cost of attending. So I hope to see you all there. In the meantime, I hope you plan to join us for our TNBC Awareness Month campaign this March. Beginning on March 3rd and lasting throughout the month of March, we will once again roll out our campaign to increase awareness of TNBC, uh, to provide our community with opportunities for education and support, and to support fundraising efforts for TNBC research specifically. Many of you on this call have been supporting the TNBC Foundation-led effort for years, planning and executing wonderful events and email campaigns every March. I want to thank you for helping us spread the word. And just like in past years, I'm proud to say that 100% of the funds raised by members of our TNBC community uh, for TNBC Day will go to support TNBC-specific research. Um, it goes without saying that um, TNBC-specific medical research is extremely important to our foundation. We not only support cutting-edge research at leading medical institutions, we work hard to inform you about um, any new developments in the area. We have expert scientific bloggers at major medical conferences, including at ASCO, AACR, and, of course, SABCS, and they work hard to provide um, you with updates um, and uh, about new and emerging research and treatment options. So if you're interested in receiving these updates, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we hope we connect with you soon, whether it's on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org, or live at one of the many TNBC Day events this coming March. So once again, thank you for joining us, and I'll turn back the program to you, Dr. Messner. Well, thank you so much, uh, um, Ms. Newman. That was wonderful. And our next speaker, before we take questions, and so hang in there for questions, is um, Ms. Stacey Chilton. She's an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and she is director of our women's program here at Cancer Care, and she will be addressing the services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chilton. 
Thank you, Dr. Messner. I as well am very happy to be a part of this important program today. I just wanted to take a little time to talk again about how Cancer Care the triple, and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's helpline can be an additional part of your support system. So the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those with triple negative breast cancer have access to a really comprehensive range of psychosocial services and supports, and those supports are all free of charge. Our Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation helpline, which again is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides our callers with access to comprehensive services, which can include things like one-on-one -on -one counseling, which is offered face-to-face -face in our New York area, as well as over the telephone nationally, a Triple Negative Breast Cancer specific online support group, free educational and reading materials, as well as some limited financial supports. By calling the hotline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker who has additional training in triple negative breast cancer, as well as the physical, emotional, and practical issues surrounding this specific diagnosis. Our licensed master's level oncology social workers are trained in how a diagnosis affects not only the individual, but really the entire family and support system. And we know that there is a great deal of financial, physical, social, and psychological demands that come with triple negative breast cancer. We want you to know that asking for help, whether you are an individual in treatment, a caregiver, a family member, or a friend, is a sign of strength. As others have said during this call, you do not need to walk this path alone. Joining a support group can be a way of connecting with others going through similar treatment experiences or encountering similar issues. And individual counseling can give you a space that is just yours to voice concerns and navigate the issues I mentioned earlier. These connections can help lessen the isolation that many people with cancer, um, specifically triple negative breast cancer, may be feeling. And when you feel better emotionally, it can help you better deal with your treatment overall. Again, I wanted to mention that right now we're offering a dedicated triple negative breast cancer online support group, which is accepting new members. If you're interested in learning more about our support group or any of the other services I mentioned today, please think about calling the triple negative breast cancer helpline. That number is 877-880-8622, and that will get you connected with one of our oncology social workers. So in conclusion, I know that we've learned a lot from today's program, and you may be digesting all of this information. Our social workers can help you further understand what it may mean for you and your loved ones. So again, please don't hesitate to reach out to our helpline and know that you are not alone. Thank you for your attention and for the opportunity to speak on this program. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Chilton. That was wonderful and just a wonderful resource um, for everybody. Now, what we're going to do right now is we have some questions that have come in from our online questionnaires, and we're going to take those questions. And I know there are many, many questions that we're not going to be able to address. So at the end of the call, I'll tell everybody how to get your questions answered. Um, so I'm going to take the first question from one of our online participants, um, and I'm going to um, – uh, this question uh, is going to go to um, Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Newman. Um, what what ethnicities are included under African American communities? Does it include the Hispanic community or women from the islands such as Trinidad, et cetera? So for Dr. Newman to address this question. Thank you. That is a fantastic question. And as the uh, the questioner is alluding to, African American identity can include a lot of different things because people may self-report or self-identify as being African-American, even though they may have a lot of admixture. They may have some Hispanic 
background, some Native American background. They may have a fair amount of uh, European admixture. A big uh, component of our research is going to be in the use of uh, genetic evaluations to actually quantify African ancestry, and this is yet another reason why this type of uh, international research is so very important. We need to get a better handle on ancestry related to geographic origins as opposed to self-reported identity, which can be based upon a lot of different uh, social and political features rather than one's actual genetic background. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Newman. And that's a great question, absolutely. And um, our next question, um, I'd like to that question over to Dr. Grana. Um, at what age should screening begin, Dr. Grana? Uh, that's uh, the topic of tremendous debate today, what age to begin screening. Uh, the U.S. Preventive Health Services Task Force uh, changed the guidelines to suggest 50. Many other organizations continue to suggest 40, um, and 40 in discussion with your healthcare providers. I actually think the most important thing is really to know your risk, to know whether you're at increased risk because of a family history or a biopsy history. And in those cases, there are other tools that can help us determine whether you have a genetic abnormality and what your risk is, and then make individualized decisions about the age at which you should start screening and also how you should be screened. Women that are BRCA1 and 2 positive are recommended to begin at 25 or 10 years younger than the youngest relative with breast or ovarian cancer. And their screening is recommended to include mammography plus MRI every year. So, again, I, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all, and I really would propose that knowing whether you're at risk and assessing your risk and discussing it with your healthcare team should be the starting point. And um, thank you so much. And another question for Dr. Newman. Have there been advances in lymphedema? Oh, yes, that's another great question. Fortunately, we are making some advances in lymphedema, not as many as we need, however. The most important way to avoid lymphedema is by having fewer lymph nodes removed, of course, which is why the sentinel lymph node biopsy technology is such an exciting advance. In terms of management of lymphedema for those patients who have had to undergo an axillary lymph node dissection, we are developing more comprehensive and effective physical therapy programs with better uh, compression massage programs to, uh, to decompress lymphedema. There has also been a resurgence of interest in surgical strategies to address lymphedema and to basically recreate uh, channels that will allow the fluid from the arm to drain better. So we are making progress, definitely not as much progress as we need. Excellent. And another question for Dr. Newman. I'm thinking about getting a double mastectomy. My doctor recommended lumpectomy. Is it true that the risk for breast cancer after a double mastectomy and lumpectomy are the same? If you could address that question, Dr. Newman. That's all. Yeah, that's also a great question. And I would caution you at the outset to focus on prioritizing the treatment of the cancer that you know about. And so if you are a lumpectomy candidate, breast conservation, breast saving surgery is very, very effective 
and the survival from breast cancer is equal regardless of whether you go the breast saving route versus the mastectomy with or without reconstruction route. There are also some implications of the lumpectomy surgery with regard to the sentinel lymph node biopsy surgery versus possibly needing an axillary lymph node dissection. And that conversation starts to get a little bit more complicated, but suffice it to say that you are more likely to be able to avoid the full axillary lymph node dissection with lumpectomy surgery. Some women, however, are very, very uncomfortable with the prospect of possibly developing a completely new breast cancer at some point in the future. And so for those patients going through with a double or bilateral mastectomy, may be the operation of choice. But don't make the decision for a bilateral or double mastectomy because you think that it's going to increase survival rate or because you think that it's going to help you avoid chemotherapy the cancer will need to be treated based upon the features of the cancer that you already know about. Excellent. Thank you. And um, this will be the last question um, for Dr. Grana. When should one consider a clinical trial for triple negative breast cancer? I think at every point in the journey. Uh, For example, when you're newly diagnosed with early-stage disease, you should ask your oncology team, hey, is there a clinical trial that's pertinent to me? Uh, For example, there are a couple of clinical trials right now for people that um, uh, are mutation positive after they finish their chemotherapy for early-stage breast cancer. Some women are eligible to be on a PARP inhibitor clinical trial. Uh, There are some clinical trials for women that got chemotherapy and, again, as others spoke about, didn't respond completely, so there may be a trial. So I think it's always important at every step of the journey to say to your clinician, is there a trial that's pertinent for me? Can you help me look and see if there is a trial? In metastatic disease, um, I often uh, think it's it's, uh, sometimes... uh, difficult because you have to be at the right point in your disease. You have to meet the eligibility. Sometimes you can only have had one treatment or two. So it isn't. there isn't always something widely available or it may be too far for you to travel, but it's always worth exploring so you know what your options are. Excellent. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been extraordinary. Um, it's been an extraordinary call. Um, I actually, um, I also want to thank all of you who've asked such great questions. And I know there are questions yet to have been answered, so I, I want to uh, address that as well. Um, so, um, for those of you who have medical questions that you have not yet had gotten answers to, I strongly recommend that first of all you go to a healthcare team, of course. But many of you I know like to get information from other sources. So. We obviously do suggest, of course, contacting the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Sisters Network, Inc., and you'll be getting all that information about those resources in, uh, when you get the evaluation about the program, you'll be getting information about the resources. And also, we do recommend, of course, um, the National Cancer Institute, um, www.cancer.gov, and they have wonderful information about clinical trials or clinicaltrials.gov as well. Those are all resources for you to have. In addition, um, of course, um, we do want you to be sure to think of your questions, what you'd like those questions to be, and really 
again, go back to your healthcare team once you get some information and, and really stay with those credible organizations that you, that you know will give you good information. So we're going to send you all those resources that you can go to because there are so many um, organizations in the cancer world that you can also access information from. And if any of you have practical or financial questions, some of you may have financial questions or concerns, um, if you want to get some counseling services um, or join a support group or a telephone support group or need help in getting just practical help, contact Cancer Care um, at 1-800-813-4673. And, of course, also you want to contact the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation because they have a wonderful array of services specifically for uh, people living with triple negative breast cancer. And, of course, the Sisters Network, Inc., which is an amazing organization and another resource for all of you to contact as well. So with that being said, I actually want to thank all of you for your participation today. I don't want anyone to feel you're alone in coping with, um, you know, with triple negative breast cancer. I want you to know that you're now part of a community of support. We're all here to help you. There are lots of organizations here to help you, and we really um, want to make sure that um, – that you actually take advantage of the services that are available specifically for, um, for um, both the Sisters Network, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Cancer Care, and all the other organizations that we'll be sending information about. So I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all for your participation. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.